Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Ben. Hey, guys, it's Russell. Today on Mountain Meister, we welcome Jay Henry. Jay is a professional cross-country mountain bike racer, and over the course of his career, he has accumulated 14 Norba national podiums. For those of you out there who aren't mountain bike experts, Norba stands for National Off-Road Bicycle Association. Jay has also accumulated 31 national Norba top 10s. In addition to mountain biking, Jay has also competed in adventure racing around the world. Jay, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Jay, Ben and I were doing a little bit of research, and we stumbled across this picture of you standing next to Lance Armstrong. And we were, we were a little thrown back, and apparently you compete with the best of the best. So how does it feel to be at the top of your sport? Uh, it's awesome. It's uh, a sport that uh, I followed as, as a kid, and uh, the guys who were successful back then were my heroes. So it's awesome to be able to uh, kind of follow in their footsteps and do something that I've always wanted to do since I was really young. Yeah, and with the recent drama in the media with Lance Armstrong, I guess it's not too recent, maybe about five years ago or <laughs> no, something No, l- like less that. than that. I less think than like that? a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah. Was, was there anything weird that happened <laughs> that, that surprised you with that? Well, yeah. Um, in uh, the fall of 2012, I got a text message from a friend of mine who I race with, and uh, he said, congratulations on your state championship title. <laughs> And I had no idea what I was t- what he was talking about. I think it was November. I hadn't raced for probably a couple months at that point. And uh, he had a, a link attached. And I checked the link. And it went to a list of all of the titles that had been re-awarded with Lance Armstrong being stripped of all of his <laughs> titles. So there's all these professional road racers. And, uh, and then at the bottom of the list was Jay Henry, Colorado State cross-country champion and uh in 2009 he had jumped in uh, the race that was the colorado state championship race in snowmass which is near aspen where he lives he had just gotten off coming back from his last tour de france uh race where he had gotten third so he was just flying and i've raced against him on mountain bikes before so he's a great mountain biker He, he can handle his mountain bike just fine and so he pretty much destroyed the field um as you'd expect and I got second, which was a great honor, actually. It was, it was really cool. And so then on that list of bike racers who had been awarded, I was at the bottom. I, and uh, I was like, wow, that's cool. I hadn't won a race um, for a while at that point. So it was nice to be awarded that title <laughs> in a very unusual way. Congratulations on that victory. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so let's learn a little bit more about uh, what your sport exactly is because uh, pretty much everybody knows that Lance Armstrong normally specializes in the road bike racing, but you are a mountain bike racer. How long are these races? There's 
a lot of variation in the length. Um, an average cross country is probably an hour and a half to two hours. And then there's a discipline called marathon cross country. And that pretty much is two hours to eight hours. Mm. And depending on the race, it can be anything in between. I do a lot of four to five hour races, a lot of 50 mile races, which take about four hours. And I've done a few hundred mile races, which take anywhere from six to eight hours. And what kind of terrain are you covering? Uh, again, it depends where you are in the country. In Colorado, we're, we're up in the mountains a lot, doing a ton of vertical. If you go to the East Coast, it's maybe a little less vertical, but very technical, rocky, rooty, mm. challenging trails, um, which is part of the appeal to the sport is that really you don't know what to expect. Mm. Um, things can change from place to place, uh, from course to course. So you have to be able to, to ride a lot of different conditions. Is this something you've been doing your whole life and it was just kind of the natural progression to get you to the stage that you are now? Or is there anything that happened that really put you on this path? It really started when I was in middle school. Mountain biking is the late 80s. Mountain biking was pretty new. And uh, the school I went to is a public school, just a small middle school in Colorado, offered a, a field trip to Moab, Utah, um, a mountain biking field trip. And I'd never done that. I'd done some, a little bit of road biking with my dad prior to that, but it sounded cool. So I think I borrowed a mountain bike and signed up for the trip. And, uh, geez, I pretty much fell in love with it. And it's been, I've, it's been a focus of mine ever since. So you got hooked. What do you love about mountain biking? You know, I, love being outside and just spending time in the outdoors. It's something that I think when you do it as a kid and you, you like it, you're kind of hooked for life. And as far as competing goes, you know, it, it can be a very frustrating sport. Things, a lot of things can go wrong, but when things go well, it's so rewarding that, uh, it's absolutely the best. It looks like it could be very frustrating at the beginning of the race when, there's just this cluster of people. Is that what you're talking about when you say frustration? Oh, yeah, that's part of it. it the, the start of a mountain bike race is just chaos. <laughs> you know, you're lined up with upwards of 200, sometimes thousands of other riders, and you're on terrain that can change that you can't see when you're in a big group. So the start of a, a race, I would say, is more anxiety than anything. It's just something you have to get through. But then once you're out in the race, there are so many things that can go wrong. You know, bikes are mechanical contraptions and a lot of things can go wrong. <laughs> you know, you can be prepared as possible physically and you can have a bad day. There's so many aspects that could cause issues in a bike race that uh, it's something that you, you have to deal with every race. You know, not everything goes perfect every time. In fact, it rarely does. It's something you deal with pretty much every time you you go to the starting line. Yeah, I'd imagine every time I go out mountain biking, I, I didn't used to bring my own uh, tubes for my tires, but you're going to be lost in the woods if you don't have them. So usually I bring friends with me and they don't know how to actually change the tires and it ends up taking us like 20, 25 minutes to just switch out a couple tires, pump them up quick. How long does it take you to switch out a tire? That's a good question. I like that. Uh, in a race, um, I usually can do it 
in about three minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's doing it thoroughly to where I do it properly and don't have any issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've definitely, I've had some good races where I've had flat tires and, and I'm very proud of, of those because I had the presence of mind to, to make the repair and do it properly and not lose so much time that I was out of the race. I saw this headline too. It was Jay Henry finishes race with flat tire. How long were you riding <laughs> that flat tire for? Um, I think I know which race you're talking about. Um, it was the, the GoPro Mount Games in Vail. And I bet it was probably three miles out that I noticed wow. I was bouncing on my rim. But it was a slow leak, so I had a little bit of air. <laughs> So you just, you ride on eggshells pretty much, you know, going slow. And I was in the lead and I knew the guy behind me was bearing down hard. He was a great descender. So it was uh, pretty challenging. By the time I finished, as you can imagine, riding on a completely flat tire is like riding on ice. It just, there's no control. And so I was doing 180s and 360s virtually on, you know, to get to the finish line. And um, I was able to get through. It It was a pretty big relief. That's hilarious. I, I when we talked about changing tires, I'm just imagining you you know you're 90 miles into a 100 mile bike race. You've got to be exhausted, and then you have to try to do something that requires a little bit of precision, right? And that's changing this tire. Are you shaking while you're trying to like do this? Yeah, that's that's challenging. Is to to go from your anaerobic threshold, essentially, you know, just seeing stars and, and being completely blown to having the presence of mind to put a tube in your tire and, and do everything properly to where you're not going to have any issues. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to do in your garage, but when you're out on the trail in a race, it can be challenging. Yeah. So we talk about the repairs and then, yeah, I mean, you've, you're very successful, lots of podiums, as I mentioned in the bio, what makes you a better mountain bike racer than other people or what what is the difference between the top racers and somebody who's not finishing first i guess besides steroids (laughs) (laughs) you know that's a good question i'm certainly as far as talent level i'm not very high on the on the (laughs) ladder and I, which is great about a sport like mountain biking, because, you know, if you're not the most talented, you can make up a lot of that distance with good training and smart training. And, and, you know, the last few years I've been racing a, a long time. So just the experience you have and the patience you, you gain from doing something for a long time, I think gives you a really big advantage over people who are more talented. Yeah. I mean, training's got to be a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Are you ever traveling anywhere for specialized training? You know, I I used to when I raced uh, a lot at sea level. Believe it or not, I have a hard time racing at sea level. Um, I live at 7,000 feet. I've lived at 8,000 feet my whole life pretty much. That's where I grew up. Hmm. Most people think that would be a huge advantage. Um, And it is at when you're racing at that altitude. But when you go to sea level, like the East Coast or Europe, because there's so much more oxygen, you can you can ride your bike a lot harder. And you're not accustomed to that when you're riding at 8,000 feet all the time. So when I would go to a lot of events at sea level, I would actually try to spend some time at sea level riding and racing to pretty much acclimatize to sea level. And, you know, a few people have that same experience, but most people come from altitude and feel strong at sea level. I was almost the opposite, where I felt weaker, at least compared to all the other 
competitors. Mm. Yeah, and I think when you go to such a different climate, anytime you can spend time in those conditions, the better, the more you can get accustomed to those conditions. Speaking of locational training, Russell and I were talking to you before the show. It sounded like you got yourself into a sticky situation. Can you tell our listeners that story? Yeah. When I first turned pro, or right before I first turned pro, I went with a friend of mine to Bogota, Colombia. Um, He had lived there. He was a little bit older, so he had spent a lot of time living there, and he had raced on a professional road team down there. And he would love to go down there to train because of the the vertical and the the terrain was just incredible. So we would go on group rides from Bogota, from the city. And uh, he was sick one day, so he didn't ride. So I was like, I'll just go out on the group ride with this Colombian team and I'll be fine. I'll just stick with uh, the group. And, you know, it's a little dicey. The State Department warned me not to go there when I got my visa and stuff. So we're on this group ride and Bogota sits at 8,000 feet and then it just drops off to pretty much sea level. So riding down, you know, it was beautiful. You go from the mountains to the jungle and it was really cool. And then we turned around at the bottom and started climbing back. So it was probably 7,000 vertical wow. that we had dropped. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. So on the way up, I just couldn't keep up with the group and totally got dropped. And uh, so here I was in Colombia, in the jungle and I noticed when we went out, we went on, I think it was to the west of the city, which I was told not to go because it's part of the paramilitary controlled area that the government troops and government police never went there. And uh, here I was getting dropped and completely by myself. And I was just thinking, this is why Colombians are so fast, because if they get dropped, they just (laughs) disappear. And so here I was just by myself, hungry, bonked climbing out and uh i had to stop and get some food and a coke at uh at one of the little roadside shacks and uh luckily had no problem but made it back safely but the whole time i just couldn't believe i was in that situation and uh thinking about it it's one of the best training stories that i've had in my career that could have turned sour fast right? yeah you know and and that was right around the times of some of those paramilitary groups were there were some kidnappings and, and so forth. And uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm pretty fortunate to have made it back. But it was an amazing experience. The, the entire trip was pretty cool. Yeah, and you probably weren't carrying around a bike lock to just hook it up to the shaft today, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's funny because riding back to town, we rode through a street that translated to like tennis shoe alley or tennis shoe road uh, or something like that. And I was like, why did they call it that? And they said, well, when you ride this street, you should bring some tennis shoes. So when your bike gets stolen, (laughs) you don't have to walk home in your bike shoes. (laughs) And, and so then I had to ride through tennis shoe alley on the way back. And luckily I made it back on my bike. Yeah. So Jay, I noticed that a lot of athletes have superstitions. Are you superstitious about anything when you ride? You know, I would say no, but my wife probably would be laughing if I said no. I think I'm pretty quirky in some of the preparations I do. I think they're perfectly logical, but it could have a lot to do with superstition. Maybe Russell and I could be the judge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most rides, probably 80%. I always feel like my seat post isn't in the right position. So, you know, even though I know it is, I'll go out and I'm like, I think it's slipped. So I'll, I'll bump it up 
two millimeters and I'll ride for, you know, another 20 minutes. And then I'm convinced that it's too high. So I'll put it right back to where it was. <laughs> it's amazing how often I do that. It's pretty, uh, pretty weird, but I, it's, I don't know. Then I guess I feel like I know it's the correct position that way. Yeah. Maybe, uh, your wife is sneaking into your garage at night and, and adjusting it just to mess with you, but who knows? <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so I had another question about the natural progression of becoming a professional mountain biker. I think you're still sponsored or you're, you're part of the team Tokyo Joe's. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So how does that work with mountain bike being such a personal sport, but then you're, you're kind of on this team. Is it mostly about the sponsorships or are there things you're doing with your team that really make it a team sport? You know, it, it really is an individual sport, you know, in, in professional road cycling, there are teams that do work for their teammates during the race. And in mountain biking, that can be done a little bit, but not as much as road racing and, you know, the, our, our team is pretty much um, just a, a group of, of sponsored riders. We certainly help each other out when we can and we travel together a lot. But during the actual events, uh, it's pretty rare that teamwork comes into effect, although it, it can happen. The other thing I had a question of is this new thing in mountain biking. It's actually the fat bikes. Is that what they're mm -hmm. called? With the yeah. fat tires and I mean, you living in Colorado you probably get snow a lot too. Do I don't you get know. Snow in Colorado? <laughs> oh, we get a ton. Is that something you enjoy, or would you rather be on your uh, your normal mountain bike? Let me jump in and tell the listeners what this is because That's I had, I had no idea when I saw these things earlier in the year. These are these fat bike tires that what they're probably six inches wide. They're pretty darn close, at least four and a half. Yeah, I mean these are really fat tires that are built for riding on snow. How often are you riding these during the winter? Do you have your own fat bike? You know, I don't. I have ridden them. Um, I've borrowed a couple and done some races, actually, hmm. and it's a blast. Normally on uncompacted snow, our snow is really dry up here, so it doesn't pack very well. Uh, a normal mountain bike, you just wouldn't be able to ride. It's too soft. Hmm. And those, you drop the tire pressure down to like three pounds per square oh, inch, wow. which is very soft. Hmm. And you can really ride on uncompacted snow remarkably well. And uh, I've done a few races. It's a blast. It's, you know, you don't have a lot of control once the snow gets soft. And so you're half skiing, half riding. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Speaking of these bikes and everything else, we like to ask our guests for a gear recommendation. Would you have something that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yes. It's a pretty big specific item, <laughs> but uh, we switched our bike sponsor this year, and this is the first year we're on Scott Bikes. And normally a, a bike sponsor switch is a pretty big issue and a little bit of anxiety, but uh, I have a Scott Spark 900 um, full suspension 29er. So the wheels are 29 inch wheels. And to my relief, it's absolutely remarkable. I love it. And so I would have to recommend that it's still still new to me. And it's just, it's like a new toy. Yeah. The way I know Scott is they bought Garmont, which is the uh, Telemark boot that mm -hmm. well, I had a Garmont's for a while, but then when they switched over, I wasn't sure. So they seem to be doing a lot with action sports and yeah. everyone loves telemark skiing. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's my preference. Oh, of, you're a uh, telemark skier too. Absolutely. Yeah. You just became Russell's favorite guest. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, 
do live in Colorado and, uh, went, you know, last week it snowed, uh, 24 inches, wow. just a few miles from my house. So winters are a long, long time up here. And, uh, if you don't ski, I think you'd probably have to move away somewhere because <laughs> winter is just way too long. We'll, we'll throw the Scott Spark 900 on our website with the 29-inch wheels, right? Which are apparently the new thing in mountain biking. Yeah, they've been around probably for the last 10 years, but just in the last five or six, uh, manufacturers have really put all their energy behind them. And uh, that was that's actually a huge progression since I've been racing is the 29-inch wheel, especially in the west where trails are a little faster and drier those bikes are just they're so comfortable and so stable at speed at high speeds that uh they're really fun to ride well to close this thing up russell and i have one more question and this is hopefully applicable to our listeners lives because they may not be mountain bike racers but everybody faces challenges and that is what is one trait or quality that you've gained as a result of your mountain biking career that really translates over to your everyday life there's a lot when when it is your job the lessons from normal life and work life go back and forth a lot um you know i've learned a ton from racing itself and then from being a professional i would say the biggest lesson i've learned is uh the most challenging part of being a professional and this is a lot of sports is defining the the funding and the sponsorship to make it work And, you know, so I wasn't always getting the best results. I wasn't the most talented. I had to be creative in how I was able to obtain sponsorship and pretty much finance being a a professional racer. Um, There's not a, a lot of money involved, so it can be challenging. And so that's probably my biggest accomplishment. What I'm most proud of is finding a way to make it work in a challenging environment. And that I think that'll carry over to, to any future job I may have is just kind of finding a niche and making it work one way or another. Yeah, sometimes we get some listeners that are actually in a similar situation to you. They're trying to be a professional. They're trying to get sponsored. Do you have one creative tip for them to gain these sponsorships? You know, I think the biggest mistake that a lot of young racers have is thinking results will get them the sponsorship and the attention. And it's certainly more the relationships and how you carry yourself, how you market yourself. Those are by far more important than a nice looking resume with a lot of results. Just even at an, at an event, you know, conducting yourself in a, in a manner that um, kind of treating everyone as if they could potentially be your next sponsor, you know, and, um, that, that goes a long way, I think. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. Really great advice. And, uh, for our listeners out there, check out Jay's Meister profile on our website, mtnmeister.com to see gear review, any other resources that we talked about. And, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, you bet. Thank you guys. Hello, Meister fans. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Mountain Meister. After Jay's interview, I was curious as to how fast you could actually change a tire. So I found this really awesome and pretty funny video of this guy who does it in about 100 seconds. So check that out. If you can beat that time, send us a video. We'll share it on our Facebook. I like it. 
Russell, by the way, where in the country are you right now? Well, we're still making our way through upstate New York. We're in wine country, uh, doing some tours, doing some camping. Where are you? I have returned home to the llama farm, Russell, and I will post some pictures of the llamas just for you. And for me, I would love to see a picture of wine country. For the listeners, we have Nikki Stone on the show tomorrow. Nikki won a gold medal in Ariel's freestyle skiing in the Olympics. She's written a book about what makes her successful. It's called When Turtles Fly. I know that's really confusing right now, but it makes perfect sense when you listen to her episode. Talk to you then.